I'm glad for my time in the military and my uh, my dad got out of the army at, in um, 1962. He had been in 20 years and he was at Normandy, D-Day. And uh, anyway, when I was raised in a military home, and I used to, one of my chores was to spit shine my dad's boots. And you know what? I enjoyed doing it. And I spit shine those boots. I mean, they look like black glass. And my dad told me, I guess his reasoning with me was, when I, he was a drill sergeant and at one point, and he said, now, if I go out to the men and my boots aren't shinier than theirs, how's that going to look? And I thought, well, that's terrible. We can't have that. <laughs> and so I would spit shine my dad's boots. And um, when I joined the Army in 1963, yeah, two days after Kennedy was killed, two days before Kennedy was killed. And um, I was only 17. They couldn't hurt me. I mean, what could they do to me? I could run forever. I could do chin-ups, push-ups. It didn't matter. I couldn't believe they fed us three times a day. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> I remember when I, halfway through my three years, 18 months, I got saved. And I got my first paycheck after I got saved. And it's not like I was awash in money. I made about $90 a month. I mean, go figure. And I couldn't wait to pay my tithes. And so I couldn't wait to get to the bank. I went down there and, and I... I said, can, I asked that lady, can you help me figure out what, what is 10% of this? I'm not preaching on tithing, y'all. I'm just telling you an experience I had, okay? <laughs> Shut the door! <laughs> and so I bought a money order. I didn't have a bank account because I usually didn't have any money. And uh, I owned nothing. I didn't know much. But God had saved me and delivered me instantly. I don't know how much better it could be. I wish God would do that for everybody. And he does some people. The quicker the better, as far as I'm concerned. Let the glory come down. Y'all going to get me preaching here in a minute. And after I paid my tithes, I sent my dad $10 for just to help him out. And gas was like 15 cents a gallon then. And he drove a Volkswagen, a little bug. And that $10 would last him probably three weeks. And I, I loved every minute of it. I loved that. Helping my dad. I adored my dad. We're going to preach on wonderful worship. And that's the series that we're on. Wonderful worship for a wonderful God whom we serve. And... Um, Um, in the first service, I, I had a, an elaborate set of notes 
prepared, which <laughs> they fell by the wayside. I don't know. We got to talking about something. And so anyway, I want to say something to you about sacrifice. Worship and sacrifice go hand in hand. Worship and sacrifice are compatible. And that's a good thing. In the Old Testament, people offered sacrifices. And the reason they did that, it's not just real complex, the reason. It's because God told them to. And then God says things like in his word that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So why then would God tell them to do that? What was the reason? Well, the reason why is because in the plan of God, he was going to offer himself, Jesus was going to offer himself as not a lamb, but as the lamb of God that would come and take away the sins of the world. Come on now. Hallelujah. If they find people on another planet, they're going to have to come through Jesus, okay? Whosoever will. All souls are mine, God said. But when I read in the book of, uh, of Hebrews, in uh, chapter 10, I want you to look with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, the law having a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves, for this reason can never by those same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. So what are we talking about here? Sacrifice or worship? We're talking about both. They are compatible. For the worshipers would not, if it could be, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, now this is what he said, David quoted Christ 700 years before he spoke. Come on. Here's what his words are. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. Now, the, the sacrifices, we listened to Jeff the other day, and he was talking about all those sacrifices. And, and as he was talking, I, I got a mental image of driving to church, and here are all of these hundreds of animals, goats, bulls, cows, I guess, heifers, sheep, whatever, to be offered as a sacrifice. And here they're being offered, and God requires it, and yet he's saying he did not desire that but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. 
Then said, I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here am I. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He offered his life to cover every one of those sacrifices that had ever been offered. How many do you think there were? How about millions and millions and millions over all of those centuries and the sacrificing. It was a big job. There was a lot more to it than what we realize. And all of those were offered. But when Jesus died on the cross, at the moment he gave his life and died for our sins, his blood covered every one of those sacrifices that had been offered in faith to God. All the way back to when Abel offered a sacrifice. And God was pleased with the sacrifice. Why is it that God could smell a sweet savor, a sweet aroma when a sacrifice was offered? The reason why is because he could see through the telescope of time prophetically what that sacrifice was ultimately going to be. It was going to be the blood of Jesus who had been offered for our sins on the cross. Come on now, say amen. I've got some news for you. Peter said... For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Wasn't anything like that. It isn't higher education, and I'm all for higher education. It isn't by wealth, and I'm all for wealth. But it tells us not silver and gold. It was not perishable things such as silver and gold that you re were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen from before the foundation of the earth, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Aren't you glad you saved? I hope you're saved through Jesus. And you know something? Don't tell anybody. Don't let anybody else tell you different. If they try to tell you something different, no, that's not the way it is. Here's how it really is. I used to watch those. We went out witnessing those Baptist guys. Man, I'm going to tell you, 
Those Baptist people, they, they could read their Bible upside down better than I could read mine right side up, and they could quote scriptures, and they'd say, do you want to get saved? The person says, no, yeah, you do. And before they'd leave, they'd be saved, you know. <laughs> Thank God for those people. Hallelujah. Today, I want to talk to you, take you to a story in the Bible from the book of Judges. And uh, if you'll turn with me there, if you have a Bible, and uh, I don't have the, I don't have the uh, PowerPoint thing. Um, God may try that one of these days. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's not that I'm technologically challenged, but, but I am. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'd have to get Blake or Jeff to help me. <laughs> uh, if it wasn't for Blake, we'd be out of business. We couldn't microwave, play tapes or CDs or whatever they have now. I'm trying to figure out. I'm still trying to working on my pager I used to have. I hadn't got that. I know. I know. I'm getting there. I know. I'm getting there. These things take time, friends. I want to talk to you a, a story about the parents of Samson. And it seems like I don't know exactly why it is, but I, I, I always end up reading the story before the big highlight, which would be Samson. You know, I like to preach about Samson. I, I think it's fun to preach about Samson, but we're going to go just before Samson arrives on the scene. And I, I can tell you this, if, if you want to read something that is full of excitement, humor, uh, bewilderment, read about Samson. You're going to find it all. I mean, there's a lot of information in there, and uh, I recommend it. Uh, at one point, he didn't, he didn't mind getting ropes on him, but he just didn't want his, his fellow countrymen to kill him. He said, just, just so y'all don't do it. If they do it, that's, that's different, but I just don't want y'all to do it. Anyway, you just see some of the reasoning behind that. It's kind of unusual. But we look at chapter 13 of Samson, or, and Judges, and let's begin with this story. And uh, it's, a, it's a really neat story in the Bible. I love it. And uh, God showed this to me in order to share with you all today. So that's why I'm talking about this. This is not, uh, I, I don't travel the countryside and preach everywhere and I'm preaching this sermon for this people here today. I'm not saying I'll never preach it again, but I don't think I have ever preached from this portion of Scripture in my life that I can remember. But it says in chapter 13, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the, the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, the fact that they did evil, they did this evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did this right in front of God. And by that, I mean that they committed all kinds of sin and the things that they were not taught by the prophets. They abandoned the Lord. They worshiped idols. They lived like the Canaanites. And some of the lifestyle of the Canaanites were so wicked that I could not discuss those with you in this forum here today. They, 
They even made some of their children in cases, some cases, to pass through the fire. They worshiped false idols, and God turned them over into the hands of the Philistines. And so it says 40 years. So I thought back how long that would be. What all would happen in the period of 40 years? And so I did some, I did some math and some complex mathematical comp- computations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can do that. And I went back and I arrived at 1979. And uh, I know, yeah. How many believe in hope? <laughs> There's hope in God. So anyway, I thought about where I was, what I was doing, what my life was like. But mostly, I thought about all of the changes that had taken place from then till now. That's the thing I think about. I'm talking about change upon change upon change. And when I was in Bible school, the Bible the teacher taught us about the increase in knowledge and how things had changed. And he said that most of human history, that the, if you put it on a graph, change and knowledge would increase a little bit and nothing real drastic until this age. And then learning and technology and everything just went like that. That's where we are. I talked to a man one time not a few years ago. He was a, he, I said, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a computer programmer. I said, well, I haven't heard that term in, in many years. And he said, yeah, well, you know, you can go to school for it, but it's, by the time you go to school, it's just passed you by like a rocket. That's what he said. It's like a rocket. That's what Jeff does. He's, you sell computers. No, pharmaceuticals. I'm sorry. I like Jeff. He, you know, I bought a hundred square bales of hay one time. Brought them home, parked, them, pulled the trailer under my barn, and I was trying to figure out how to get the hay from the trailer up into the loft. It's this thing called gravity, you know. And so I was telling Jeff about it, and he said, "Well, I'll help you." I said, "Okay." So he comes over, and he worked on the trailer, and I was in the loft, and he handed up. All those bales of hay to me, and I stacked them all. I'm telling you, if you got hay to haul, this is the guy to do it. <laughs> I know you're a CEO, but I'm going to try to take care of you. I'm trying to help you now. Just, you know, yeah. He's the man for the job. <laughs> See, what are friends for? <laughs> so, anyway, what happened? in this 40 years is that these people who had walked under the glory of God you agree with that they went through the the mighty Red Sea do you know that science have discovered chariots in that place where that is thought to have happened what they believe are chariots big chariot wheels that are still there down in the in the mud and the muck in that Red Sea. And they walked in the power of God. God fed them manna every day for 40 years. 
when the sun was hot in the wilderness, he protected them by the pillar of cloud that protected them. The cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And they walked in the glory of God and then they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he turned them over, handed them over into the hands of the Philistines where they were subjected to ridicule, persecution, and in many cases, indentured servitude. There was widespread mingling with the culture of ungodliness and a constant reminder that Dagon was the god of the Philistines. In essence, they were a marginalized people who had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is the condition that they were in for 40 years. A generation grew up and didn't know anything else but that. That's all they knew. Well, God determined to revisit them in his time. His time is not necessarily our time. See, he invented time, by the way. Yeah, he, he came up with that idea. And he, he con constructed that. And um, so a few years here and there doesn't worry him and doesn't bother him. When, when the Amaleks, the people, Amalek and the Amalekites, when they ambushed Israel and waylaid them, God didn't like that. And it wasn't until several hundred years later that he told Saul to go destroy them because of what they did then. So, you know, God's not too worked up about time like maybe we are a little bit. So he decided that he's going to come to the aid of these people. And it says in the second verse, a certain man of Zorah, named Manoah from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. And he will begin, didn't say complete, he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. The first thing that I noticed here is the term set apart because, frankly, not much of anything in Israel had been set apart. For God. I wonder if we can look into our lives and wonder if there is something in our lives that is set apart. Is our life set apart for God? Amen. You know, I, I, I like to read. I like to read novels, mysteries, westerns. Uh, War stories, you know, where they blow stuff up and, you know, stuff like that. And, and I've learned something about God. He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. 
And he'll let me read a book or two here and there, but he wants me to focus on the Word of God. I got one at home I've been wanting to read, but I knew I was going to preach this sermon. I just wasn't going to push my luck. You know what I mean? I just, okay, but he's a jealous God. He wants us to focus on him. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to talk about him in our homes, in our workplace as much as we can, and to live our lives for him because we're redeemed. The next thing I notice is that he will begin. This wasn't the end of this. This was just the beginning. And the actual sub subjection of the Philistines didn't take place until King David subdued them by the hand of the Lord in 2 Samuel 8 and 1, which was over a hundred years later. And when King David, who I believe is the greatest king who ever lived, human king who ever lived, he instituted worship like Israel had never known before. 24 hours a day of worship. That was the end result of this. But in this case, he will begin this process. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. Notice this. She's a, apparently an authority on the subject. And he looked like an angel. Very awesome. I just know he was. Oh, yeah, he was. I didn't ask him where he came from. And he didn't tell me his name. Manoah is married to a woman who doesn't ask questions? Uh, okay. Just saying. Uh, okay. Sorry, honey. I, I'm just. So, anyway, <laughs> what was he wearing? What kind of shoes do you have on? Did he have wings? Did he, I mean, you know. This is, uh, I mean. I want details, you know, here. Uh, very awesome. But he said to me, you will conceive and bear a, give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine, other fermented drink. Do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazareth to God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent come again and teach us how to bring this boy up to be born. And God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. Now, I don't know how much later this was. One commentator said it could have been later that day. I don't know. I don't know that that even matters. But the woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed her, and when he came to the man, he said, You're the one who talked to my wife? <laughs> Here's his answer. It's kind of a unique answer. It's not a trick question. Just think about it. He answers two words in quotes. I am. When the I am shows up, that's all good. <laughs> We're on the right track, aren't we? We may have been in captivity. We, may have, we have, may have been in bondage. But when the I am shows up, that's when things begin to change. 
when God came to me and I was lost and undone and he, he appeared to me and he revealed himself to me and he saved me from my sins. Not most of them. Not a few. But all of them. All of our sins. And Manoah said, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? I don't know if I'd be asking that. I'd be so, I'd be on the phone calling people. You know what happened? You ain't going to believe this. Get over here quick. Anyway, the angel of the Lord answered, your, my, your wife must do all that I told her. And then he repeats the instructions. And, and Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay here until we prepare a young goat for you. And the reason for this is because he wanted to prepare hospitality. And I think hospitality is a good thing, don't you? How many would say that hospitality is good? Good manners is good. And in this culture, they practiced this. If you were invited into someone's home, you, especially a weary traveler, you would be treated with respect and you would be protected in that home. But there's something going on here that's different. The man, Manoah, offered hospitality on a human level. But the angel of the Lord wants to take this to a higher level. Not that there's anything wrong with the human level. But you know what, friends? Human endeavor is not going to destroy the enemy. If you have a positive mental attitude and you're a good person and you do things for people and you share and you say nice things and you're polite and you are articulate and you're a clean person and you're all of those things but if you don't know the Lord Jesus and if you haven't been saved and if you haven't been empowered by him you can't you can't defeat a single devil How about that golden chalice thing? That supposedly some of the blood of Jesus was in that. I don't know if that's if people actually believe that. That's not going to help. How about the, the Shroud of Turan? Turan. I think that's a historical, interesting, remarkable thing. I, I think it's good. But if you put it around you and in order to get to heaven, it won't get you to heaven. It takes the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of God. There's no other way, no other door. If somebody said, come with me to Israel, we're going to baptize you in the Jordan River. Okay, if you want to do that. I'd just soon be baptized here in Granbury. I mean, and save the trip. Because it's not going to make any difference. If you go in faith, God's going to do a work in your life. I'm trying. <laughs> so here's what he says. We'd like you to stay. We want to prepare a young goat. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat 
any of your food. Well, that's kind of rude, isn't it? Well, let's hear the man out, okay? Or let's hear the angel of the Lord out, see what he's got to say about this. He says, I will not eat any of your food, but one little word here. Do you see it? If. If. If you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. <laughs> Moa didn't, Manoah didn't realize that it was the angel of the Lord. You know, I'm glad he didn't realize that. Because he might have just, if he saw God and if God revealed himself in all of his glory, he would have just said, okay, okay, I'll do it. It reminds me of the story of David when he sinned against God and there was an angel that showed up who spanned heaven and earth. I mean, you couldn't miss him. He had a sword drawn. Anybody could see him. David could see him. And so could this Jebusite there. And God led him there and told him he wanted him to buy that piece of property belonging to this Jebusite to build an altar and to sacrifice. Well, Turns out the Jebusite and his two, four sons saw the angel too, and they ran for cover. And the Jebusite said, "Hey, you can have it. I, I, you can have it all. Take the, take the land, take the oxen. I've got just take it all." He was biased. He was scared. He was frightened. And so Manoah didn't really know it was the angel of the Lord. And I, I, I'm thinking, well, how could he not know that? His wife clearly told him that he was very amazing, or that he was an angel, and uh, what'd she say? He, I guess she said he was dazzling, and he had an appearance that was like something heavenly. She seemed to know what she was talking about, but for some reason, he's either forgotten that, or God has hid him from view. He says, we want to be able to honor you when your word comes true. Well, who's going to honor who? I know we got to honor the Lord, but you know what? I want him to honor me too with his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And he replied, oh, and then Manoah inquired of the angel right in the middle of this, of this, okay, uh, a religious experience. Right in the middle of all of this, Manoah says, hey, what's your name? <laughs> and you read it and you're like, Really? We're, we're going some here with this. We've got the angel of the Lord here, and you want to know his name? We'll get that later on, okay? Kind of like when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and the Lord revealed his glory, and, and, and Peter was up on the mountain with him, and he got all carried away, and he said, Hey, I got a good idea. Let's build three tabernacles. Nobody was talking about tabernacles. Just go ahead and, and then the just go ahead and look at the glory of God and enjoy the glory of the Lord. Well, here's what the angel told Mr. Manoah when he asked his name. He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Well, the King James Version says secret. It's a secret. It's not just a casual thing. It's secret. It's going to have to be revealed. 
That word means wonderful. That word, that means wonderful. The word secret means wonderful. When the psalmist in Psalms 139 was talking about the good things and and reviewing the good things that God had done for him and, and God's great care, he just summed it all up by saying, such things are too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. That word means wonderful. Well, about the third time I saw that, I remembered another reference to the name wonderful, which was the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9 and 6, when he said, For unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. No wonder we talk about wonderful worship. No wonder we are active in wonderful worship. Now, then Manoah took the goat. And here, when I read this, now, I mean, when you read something, you know how you get a mental image of what you're reading about? That's one thing I like about reading. I mean, my, I, I'm not limited by what I can visualize. Like when Jeff was talking about the, all those goats, if we had to do that on the altar, and I was thinking about all those animals, and, and I could just see it in my mind. But um, anyway, Manoah took the young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock. But here's what I see Manoah doing. As soon as the, the sideline issues are over, what's your name and all this other stuff and all these trivial uh, pursuits that we do, when we get down to business with God, he, I see him as just going forward with this endeavor. And he offers this sacrifice on the rock. And notice he offers it to the Lord just like he was told. And then I want you to notice the next thing. It says, and the Lord did an amazing thing. And guess what this means? Wonderful, spectacular, remarkable, amazing. And while Manoah and his wife watched, they were watching this. They were eyewitnesses. They're not telling something that they heard somebody else say. They were talking about what they saw. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. I tell you this morning that I believe that amazing thing that God did was that he furnished the fire of God to consume that sacrifice. He went up in that flame. He owned that flame. He was that flame. For the Bible clearly tells us that our God is a consuming fire. And when Elijah was on the mountain with the prophets of Baal and they offered sacrifices and they did, just made a complete fool of themselves, the prophets of Baal, and cut themselves and did all kinds of stupid things and 
Nothing ever happened. But he rebuilt the altar of the Lord and he offered sacrifice and he said the God that answers by fire and God answered by fire. We need the fire of God. We need the fire of God in our lives. So we'll make right decisions. We need the fire of God in our lives to burn away the things that hinder us. We need the fire of God to burn away the dross in our lives and to purify our hearts to, that our eye will be single to the Lord. Look what they did when this happened. It says... As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, they're, they're right there. They're watching everything. They've seen everything from start to finish. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell on their faces to the ground. Why did they do that? Because they were worshipers of God. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. God, I'm, I'll tell you something. God is faithful to reveal himself to you, okay? In your situation, that's the thing about the Lord. He's got a plan for every single individual in this place. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Oh, no, it's not that. That sacrifice of his body on the cross was for every single individual. There's room at the cross for everybody. Every soul, every person. There's room. Not just a select few. That person you never hear or see anything from. They're kind of invisible and they have a soul and they have a need. You know, those are the kind of people when you meet them, it's going to be a divine appointment. Well, when Manoah realized it was the angel of the Lord, he said, Now, this is just kind of like me and Cindy talking. Oh, we're damned. It's all over now. We saw God. We're going to die. That's James. Cindy says, sit right here. Cindy said, James, think about it. If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would have already done it. He wouldn't have accepted the offering and he'd already killed us. Which makes pretty good sense, don't it? Why go through all this, you know? And so James answers and says, oh, okay. Strange dynamic. <laughs> uh, the woman gave birth to a boy, and they named him Samson. And God did just exactly what he said he was going to do. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanandan between Zorah and Eshtel. So he did 
what God said. And they did what God said to do. I want to suggest something to you today that, or ask you, what does wonderful worship look like? I want us to see what's trending. You know, we used to hear about, what was it, the paradigm, and then the cutting edge, and then what else was there, Alan? There was the uh, going forward, yeah. If you want to... If you want to say something in the public domain that is really clinched with a uh, interesting comment, it's going forward. You know, I listen to those people and I wonder, really, come on. I mean, be a little more original than that. So, and now we're looking at what's trending. And I couldn't help but wonder who in the world came up with that. I mean, it gets, I guess it sounds good to some people. It, I wondered where it came from, but that's all I hear now. So, I don't know. I thought we'd look at what's trending in the Word of God. You want to do that? Are you all okay with that? Let's, let's try that out, okay, and see what's trending. Uh, it says here, and this is, this is wonderful worship. What should we do? Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Come on, shout with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. And then he says, sing. In verse 2, sing the glory of his name. Somebody, Some people can say, well, I have a terrible voice. I can't sing too loud. Well, sing a little bit anyway. <laughs> and and uh, anyway, it says, make his praise glorious. And when I saw this, I guess I've read this, I don't know how many times in the last... 50 years, I've read it over and over and honestly never understood it. But this time I put the brakes on and I went back to it. And I'm like, what is this saying? Come on, James. And it, I looked it up and it means to make weighty or add weight, substance to an item. Add substance, some abound, enrich, to uh, show abundance. It's like my, my grandmother used to see my sister and me eat cereal, and she said, y'all need to eat something that'll stick to your ribs. You know, there's no substance with that. Well, we need to eat something that will stick to our ribs. Hallelujah. And we, we make his praise glorious. And I couldn't understand that because the last time I looked, I was not in charge of the glorious department. I mean, and I was thinking of the glory of God coming down and nobody wants the glory more than I want the glory to come down but some people are always waiting for some breakthrough and it's going to come down and and they're waiting for Jesus to come on such a day such this and that and that God's going to do this special thing and until he does that I'm not doing nothing that's not what we're supposed to do we make his praise glorious Look at it from his perspective. He wants to hear our praises. Say to God, what should I say to God? Got any ideas? What should I say to God? How awesome are your deeds? I mean, he, he gives us a blueprint here of what to say. How awesome are your deeds? So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. Did you know that the devils believe? Somebody says, well, I believe. Well, so the devils believe, and they tremble. 
That's what the Bible says. But one translation says they are horrified because of their belief. They know what's going to happen. They know who he is. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praises to you. They sing praise to your name. And if you, if you really want to get into God, make his praise glorious. And you want to say something, you want to make his praise glorious. I'll just turn it one page here. But go to Psalm 63. And Alan read it a while ago in the beginning of the service. In your private devotions, I would suggest this if you want to. Take your Bible out, kneel before the Lord, and say these words, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. And it goes on to say in verse 5, My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. It's to him. It's not about him. There's plenty of stuff about him. But we want to say things to him. We want to speak to God. And we want to personalize our relation and our heart to God. Next thing you do, come and see. See what God has done. You ever have God do something for you? You just can't wait to go tell somebody. Come see what God has done has done. How awesome his works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. <coughs> and this is from the uh, Red Sea when they went, Israel went through the Red Sea. And, and uh, oddly enough, or not oddly enough, but interestingly enough, the archaeologists have found what they believe are chariot wheels under the ocean there where they went through. Well, they ought to be. A lot of them. Because that's where all this happened. And it really happened. It's not a metaphor. And not only did the waters part, but they went through and somehow the bottom of the ocean got dry. They walked around on, they walked through on dry ground. You got to look for those, all those miracles. You got to read the word. You see all those miracles. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations don't think for one second that God does not see the nations of this world and see what they are coming up with and what they're going to do and what they're saying. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. You know what? They're only going to do what God allows them to do. Praise our God, O people. Let the sound of his praise be heard. This is wonderful worship, friends. He has preserved us. He's kept our feet from slipping. For you, O oh God, tested us. Now, here's where Israel was when they were under the domain of the Philistines. He says, for you tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and the water. You brought us to a place of abundance. God brought them out of that. Here's another thing. I will come to your temple. Friends, you got to go to church. And, and I'm not fussing at anybody. You're here. Thank, thank you for being here. I mean, <laughs> but I'm just saying, if you get out of church, you get in trouble. It's a rule. They've done studies, okay? 
you get in trouble. It happens every time. It's a problem. You got to be faithful to the house of the Lord. And when I come to, to the temple, I will, with burnt offerings, I will fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I thought about, I'm, not, I'm almost through here, friends, okay? I'm sorry. Anyway, when I was in trouble, for some reason, I thought about my dad. My dad was on a landing craft on the way to the beach, Omaha Beach, the worst of the worst. And as I talked to him, I said, Daddy, what were y'all doing on this landing craft going in? Now, mind you, there's explosions, guns firing. Even the battleship Texas was there firing those 14-inch guns. It was loud. It was awful, tumultuous. And he said, I'll tell you what he said. He said, we were crying. We were praying. We were puking. We were crying for our mamas. And we were promising God everything. That's what he said. I can't say I blame him, do you? Knowing that the attrition rate, the casualty rate, was going to be enormous. And when my dad got on the shore, there's a story before that, but when he got on the shore, he knelt down behind one of those barriers, tank barriers, metal pieces of railroad iron, and he said bullets were pinging off of it. And it was at that point that he realized he had a sack of hand grenades around his neck. But you know something? He told me something else. His grandfather, my great-grandfather, was a Baptist deacon in the Baptist church in Leonard, Texas. And he taught the Sunday school class. And he taught until he was like about 80, I think. He, he lived to be 102. And his, his class, Sunday school class of men, gathered and agreed together in prayer and asked that God would bring all of their people back home. And my dad came back. The odds were against him in the natural, but they were in his favor in the spirit. Hallelujah. And then he says, and I'll close with this part, come and listen, all you who fear. Come on and listen. Have I got something to tell you that God did for me? Can you do that? Can you tell that to somebody? I can't wait to tell you what God did for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Can you say 
amen to the word of the Lord. Where's our musicians? I think we need to, I want to hear a sound here. Hallelujah. I want to hear a sound of worship and praise. And how many here would say, I, I want to be a part of wonderful worship? Hallelujah. You're saying, I want to be an instrument of God in wonderful worship. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. 